Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Awesome Friday podcast for November the 12th, 2023. My name is uh, Matthew, and with me, as always, <laughs> Simon, and we are going to talk about some movies today. But before we do that, yeah. uh, how are you How are you today, Simon? <laughs> fine. <clears throat> I'm enjoying you almost getting your name wrong. Um, I am oh, fine. Uh, what's, um... Yeah, it's been a weird week. My my wife had food poisoning from uh, a roast chicken that had been out too long, and so um, I had two hours sleep Sunday night, and then on Monday I had to I took the kids to school and I delivered a webinar, and I, after two hours sleep, and uh, it was a two hour webinar, and about fifteen minutes from the end I forgot how to put words together, like my brain just turned off, just stopped. And, yeah. I've had that. It's a rem- it's a reminder of how important sleep is. So I I've been enjoying catching up on sleep this week. This is such a rock and roll life mm-hmm. I lead. Yeah, but yep. My having kids kind of broke my dependency on sleep anyway. So I'm pretty functional after almost no sleep. But um, sure is nice getting it back again. How was your <laughs> week? Uh, mine kind of sucked for not. Totally different reasons. I threw my back out last weekend, as I, I think we talked about. Um, yeah. How was that? And then this week I had my COVID slash flu shot midweek. Oh, yeah. And you... that, uh, that really knocked me on my ass in a way that I oh. wasn't quite expecting from previous shots. Um, yeah. Partly because my, my back was already thrown out. And then, like, I, I hate shots. So I'm sure this is because I, like, tensed up when they were giving it to me. But it made my back feel a lot worse <laughs> for the rest of the oh, week. No. In addition to just being the sort of normal, um, you know, kind of foggy that you can get from those shots. Yeah. Um, and just lethargic. So it's been a long week. Um, mm-hmm. But I did watch a bunch of movies. So that's nice. All uh, right. Yeah. I revisited uh, a movie from my childhood for the first time in a long time. I recently acquired, I think I told you and the show last week, the week before, that I purchased La Bamba on Criterion Blu ray. Let me tell you. <laughs> That movie is great. <laughs> I, um, I didn't know. I honestly, I didn't know it was meant to be good. I'm always a little bit surprised how much you love La Bamba because I've never seen it, and I didn't think it was meant to be good. And so I, uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that you love that film. So what's interesting about it? I mean, I think, not gonna lie, part of what makes it good is that the soundtrack is 100% bangers. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't watch a 100 minute movie. That it's full of songs like La Bamba and, and you know, Come On, Let's Go. And then also, like, Summertime Blues and Lonely Teardrops uh, are, like, every song on it is great. And they're all extremely well-performed. Um, <clears throat> but what's interesting is I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I sort of bought it on a whim. And uh, what's very interesting about it is that, for those of you who know, <laughs> the movie Walk Hard has effectively ruined <laughs> the music biopic genre because it hits ex- so many of the beats that every music biopic hits, like every single one. And La Bamba actually doesn't hit most of them. Uh, probably because Richie Valens was, you know, kind of a flash in the pan. He was discovered when he was like 17 and he died when he was 18, like nine months later. So he didn't really what? have a chance to make a huge impact. Which also meant they didn't have a time, the time to hit all of these like music biopic milestones that Walk Hard so just effectively satirizes, mm-hmm. to the point where every time I sit down and watch a specifically some kind of like music biopic, at the end of it, I'm just like I could have just watched Walk Hard; it would have been a better experience. I, I like, need to I, walk hard because like, this is I cannot, this is your frame of reference. Like, there's definitely times where. I'll be watching a movie about a singer or a band and I'll be like, oh, I know what's going to happen next because it's hilarious when they do it in Walk Hard because every <laughs> movie does this. But again, for better or for worse, La Bamba doesn't do those things. Like, mm-hmm. uh, And it actually paints a really, uh, I think, nuanced... There's a... So Richie Valens' brother, brother in the movie, his, his name is Bob, um, is, you know, he's the fuck-up brother, which many movies do have, but he's also talented in his own right and, like, just desperate for any of the attention that, that Richie gets from his parents. And it's a really interesting and nuanced performance from S.I. and Morales. And 
it's he would almost be a sympathetic character if he wasn't also technically a rapist in the movie, which kind of sucks. Which uh, is, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's the movie was made in '87, and there's some stuff in it that like you're like, oh, in 1987 this was probably fine, and in 2023, eh, not so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also it's just all, it's also just like a much darker, weirder movie than I remember. Like there's a moment in the movie where Richie Valens gets inspired to be like i want to sing la bamba like i want to sing this mexican folk song i want to make it rock and roll but still do it in spanish it's a really interesting scene and it takes place in a brothel in tijuana (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's like it it is a super dark super weird movie compared to the movie you think it's going to be Mm -hmm. um and it's also like for the longest time like i didn't find out that it was lip-synced until like I don't know, five, six years ago, because it is the oh. gold standard of lip sync performance in a film, I would say. Oh. Um, but also, like, I've had La Bamba, the song, running through my head for days. Because <laughs> that is an absolute banger of a song. Well, and turns out, sold it. Turns out, too, when you're old enough to, like, and familiar enough with Spanish to sort of understand what they're saying, or even if you just, I don't know, you could look up the lyrics as well. But, like, that song is a lot easier to sing when you know what they're saying turns out all right yeah can you sing it in spanish though do you know all the spanish words i know most Feliz of them de 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 de. i i yeah. no idea we sing it it's it's a a very popular sing a song to sing very drunk at weddings in england i'm not sure if it's the case here but it's a it's I a mean, wedding I'm, classic for us yeah and i'm sure that the the english version of it is something like la bamba yeah we all like all our way through it terribly yeah sure. it's actually para bayar la bamba to dance la bamba wow yeah there we are i'd love to learn spanish i would love to i'm really really bad at learning languages which always confuse me because i uh, i have to teach one language very particularly so you would have thought my brain would be open to learning other languages i know you learn you still learn italian don't you and um, uh, so, i i yeah. always wish i could just download spanish into my head so interestingly if you do learn another romance language like italian spanish becomes a lot easier yeah. um but i actually switched from i switched back to french recently after i lost oh. my 984 day streak of learning no. italian and duolingo no. I, what happened I missed too many days. Like I missed, I missed a second day. Oh. I didn't have a street freeze, and I wasn't willing to pay the money they wanted me to restore the streak. Yeah. So I switched back to I switched back to French, thinking, "Well, I am Canadian. I should really brush." It <laughs> yeah, but it's um, not real French. As, I, as I'm learning from my two French kids, French immersion kids, Canadian Quebec, uh, Quebec Francais is a different dialect it's a, French. It's a sure. whole different ball game completely. Yeah. Um, but if you know one, you can... If you know French, France French, you can understand... Uh, you can understand one if you understand the other. Mostly. I, w- I would have thought you're particularly good at learning languages because you, you have the capacity to remember... The, the tiniest of details from any Star Trek episode, from any generation of Star Trek. So I, I would have thought that type of memory would be good for holding on to grammar, construction, and vocabulary as well. It's basically, you gotta you got to make room, get rid of, um, delete some of that Star Trek knowledge and insert some uh, international language vocabulary, and I think you'll be fine. Nah. i do so i i hate linkedin i'm looking at linkedin more now because of my job situation (laughs) and um what i really enjoy i don't i i'm confused how linkedin wants to be a social media site now but um in amongst the congratulate karen on 12 years as working as an actuary it's matt like so they've updated uh, Star Trek. There was an episode of Star Trek where they updated uh, some UI, like the torpedo release of the V class. So <laughs> I've written, I've decided to rewrite my entire CSS project, which is the UI of classic Star Trek, to incorporate the torpedo launch valve. But I'm like, wow, like I want to have that brain. <laughs> 
I mean, come on. The only the main Star Trek things that I've done on LinkedIn were some CSS projects where I recreated the Elkars interface and then also <laughs> recreated a TNG era pad. Uh, that which was, is, you know, that was one episode where they showed one bit of UI that was slightly different, and you went and just incorporated it, like just like, oh, I'm going to redo it now so it's accurate. I love that. I kind of love that. Yeah, but the other nice thing is that if you do the programming right the first time, then that change becomes fairly incidental. So. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, this is still that podcast. You should do a programming podcast with me and Ignorant, and you talk to me about programming, and I ask you questions in the most like kindergarten way possible, and you explain I feel like we you. would need a person who's... Like, not to talk myself down, but we would definitely need someone who's more of an expert in a wider breadth of things for that kind of show than me. Uh, hey, you're um, full stack, and I know what that means now. You're, you yeah. like both the front end and you like the back end, so I've heard. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. should we talk about some things? We should. We should probably talk about some movies now that we've gotten a, that's what she said in there. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Before we get started, um, just as always, if you're listening, thank you so much in advance. Um, if you like what you hear, we do have, um, uh, we're on all the socials and there will be links in the show notes. And we do have a Patreon, which will also be in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please feel free, consider supporting us either that way or with a like, follow, subscribe. Uh, whatever uh, five star rating on your podcasting platform of choice, all these things help uh, immeasurably. Um, and we will talk a little bit more about it at the end of the show. But for now, let's talk about some movies. Or in this this week's episode's case, we're going to talk about a film and also a television series. Uh, but we're going to start with the film, and I'm going to ask Simon to give us the briefest of lowdowns on the new David Fincher film from Netflix, The Killer. Um, well, The Killer stars Michael Fassbender as The Killer, and uh, he is a killer, a contract killer, and uh, he basically takes us through his process of being a killer, or maybe even The Killer, um, and um, if you've ever played the game Hitman, especially Blood Money, then you will instantly recognize this movie, because this movie is a almost perfect adaptation of the video game hitman far better than the movies of that game series actually are um and he uh through this uh, self-narration we get into his sort of mindset and we join him on a hit and then through some circumstances um something goes wrong and it leads to a domino effect of uh, cleanups which uh piss him off and he decides to clean up the cleanups and basically it's a it's a fascinating insight into an assassin using elements of the modern world in their process in a way I haven't seen before. Um, and it's also somehow a mix between Hitman and uh, the conversation and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, as he kind of has, and falling down, like he has a, uh, uh, he's having uh, pretty much an existential crisis and we join him in that and it is a masterpiece. And I really can't say anything more about it because um, it unfolds in a way that you need to go in completely blind. And um, I would say it's Finch's best movie so I haven't seen Zodiac, so this is a difficult one for me. I, there are metaphors here. It does feel in so many ways as a companion piece to some of his earlier work, like Fight Club. Um, but I think it's probably Fincher's best movie in decades. And in decades? It, it, it's, a, it's a masterpiece, yeah. Wait, how? So I was, when Fight Club came out in 90 nine so that's decades right so yeah i would say it's his best movie in decades you're saying it's his best film since fight club 
Mm, I so I don't like the game at all, and I um well, the, I re I really like social. Was, the game was ninety seven. Uh, game was after Fight Club, or was it? Or was it between seven and Fight Club? No. So the hmm. game came out in ninety seven. Fight Club came out in ninety nine. Yes. Uh, and seven came out in ninety five. Right, so ninety-five. Seven, seven, the game, and then Fight Club. Right, okay. Yeah. So I, I love Social Network very, very much. Um, but I think this is his best movie since Fight Club. Yes. Well, you uh, haven't I, seen, it, you haven't seen Zodiac. I've seen Zodiac, and you love Zodiac. Zodiac, to be fair, is is very high on my list, and I'm very, very sure because I love Jake Gyllenhaal as well. Um, I'm, I'm sure that might interfere with that rating but this movie i think is just a there's just the way it's told uh, and i've said this to you a, a lot recently is that that i've come to realize that it's not just a cre- creative story it's the way that story is told through the script through the characterization through the acting through the the drip feed of one thing leading to another and i think that side of this movie is like a peerless example of how to do a character study uh, at the in the right t- speed, and it's got some elements of drive in there as well, where the the character, the inner character of who this person really is, is revealed in unexpected moments and then put away again like it's a gun coming out of a case, like it's uh, uh, it's exceptional. This movie just blew me away, and, and there is a. I don't want to call it a monologue, but it is a one person leads a scene later on. And it this this person has a habit of going into movies and being the best thing in that movie. And there is a scene between Fassbender and this actor. And it is like cla- a classic scene, like instant classic scene. And Fincher and his editors um, give it the space it needs. Like it doesn't feel rushed. There's moments for breathing. There's moments for thinking. Um... I think this is probably one of Fassbender's best acting performances as well. This is the kind of Fassbender performance that we used to get. When he first broke onto the scene, I got incredibly excited about Fassbender. And I think he's made some uh, choices that I wasn't expecting he would make over his career. But I think this is him like uh, showing that he is... Um, I, I kind of thought of him a lot with De Niro parallels when with a young De Niro when he first broke to the scene and, and this feels so much like that quality as well. He's brilliant and he barely says anything outside of a narration. And on that point, I usually really dislike narration in movies because it usually tells you things that it could that a good filmmaker should just show you instead of telling you. Um and this is one of the few examples where the narration for me enhanced the film. It, it was so well written and bounced so well off the visual, it kind of blew me away. So yeah, I'm I'm all over this film. Loved it, and I and I saw it. Uh, you saw it in the cinema, didn't you? And we've talked we've talked a lot recently about what the cinema experience means and how I don't really miss it. But for a few things, I would have gone to see this in the cinema. In fact, I might still do that. Uh, I mean, if you can. I don't know if it's still playing. Um, mm. And to be fair, I saw it. So I'll say that I'm 100% happy that I did see it in a cinema. I think seeing it on the biggest screen possible with full cinema sound was a super useful and super good thing. I saw it at a press screening. So it was me and literally I think there were two other people there. Mm. Um, so I did see it in a cinema, but I effectively saw it alone. Um, which, to be fair is my favorite way to see a movie in a cinema. Yeah. Um, unless it's something like the Marvels where like, there's a lot of crab reaction, um, which by the way, the Marvels is great. We're not talking about it this week, but the Marvels is great. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I also really like this movie. I didn't clearly didn't like it as much as you did, um, but I still think it's one of the better movies of the year. I think for me, if it ends up in my top 10 list, it'll be toward the bottom, but it will almost certainly be on my top 10 list. Let's put it that way. My concerns here, just to like, so everything you're saying is basically true. Um, the scene you're talking about, and it's just out there, so I don't think that it's necessarily too much of a spoiler to say that that scene with Tilda Swinton is maybe my favorite acted scene of the entire year. 
mm-hmm. um, because Fassbender does it's a it's a conversation, and he says almost nothing, but you know at every single moment exactly what he's thinking, and I think that that's a real feat. Like that's a it's mm-hmm. hard enough to do for most actors, even great actors, to really convey the inner monologue of someone without having a narration or something and in this scene which does not have narration you know exactly what he's thinking and feeling throughout the whole thing and having seen it twice now because i watched it it's now out on netflix so i saw it once in a cinema and once at home Mm -hmm. he does the same thing in two other scenes actually i just think the tilda swinton one is by far the best of them but he Mm -hmm. is the character the way the the character is written and shot and performed is so good at just being in a room and letting letting the other actor take the space and mm-hmm. like react to what they know Fassbender is. All three of those scenes are incredible. Like I say, mm-hmm. the, the Tilda Swinton one is the best one, but the, there's an earlier one with Charles Parnell that is yes. similarly right. great. And even there was one at the end with Arliss Howard, which is it's one of the only areas, and I don't want to talk about it because I want you to see the movie, but there's one of the only areas of the movie where I feel like it the way that scene resolves works for me in terms of the metaphor, but not necessarily in terms of the movie. If that made, if that makes sense, um, but yeah, this movie is like a I think like a, a top tier fastbender performance, and I think that even if you're someone who watches it and doesn't connect with it, it's such a meticulously crafted film. Like Fincher is so exacting, um, oh. and it's I think. I said this, I wrote a review of this movie a couple weeks ago for for real, and one of the things I pointed out was that it, it feels very, in a way, autobiographical, because this is a movie about a man who's a perfectionist, who's basically trying to convince you that he's not a raging torrent of emotion, whilst being a raging torrent of emotion in the face of imperfection. Oh. It's, uh, it's really something else to behold. It is very subtle. I do know some people who will probably think it's too subtle uh, in terms of the way that, like, you know, it's what's interesting about the movie is that the whole movie, Fassbender's narration is trying to, basically trying to convince you that, like, I am, an, I am emotionless. Empathy is a weakness, you know? Like, I don't feel anything whilst feeling things very deeply with yeah. a blank look on his face. And I think it's a very difficult needle to thread, and I think that that... Plus, I can see the narration coming off as a bit cold, mm-hmm. like a bit too sardonic, maybe. Um, is that the right word? Sardonic? Yeah, probably. Um, <clears throat> as the, And I think some people are going to bounce off this movie pretty hard. Uh, however, I think everyone should give it a try. Um, I don't think, even if you end up not really connecting it with it, I think that like this is two hours well spent for literally anyone just to see some of the ways that some of the some of the filmmaking, some of the performances are definitely going to stick with you, even if you don't like the film on the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes it one of the one of the better movies of the year, I would argue. Like I say, there's a very good chance this is going to end up in my top ten. Um, again, probably in the lower half, but definitely in my top ten. It's not my favorite Fincher movie. I think he's made a lot of uh, films I definitely connect with in a in a much deeper way like zodiac is a perfect film for example and i still think that the social network is basically a perfect film um i know it's an unpopular opinion but i actually think the girl with the dragon tattoo is an endlessly rewatchable movie that gets better every time i see it really yeah um and uh but we're talking about like if we're talking about my ranking of feature films he's directed 12 feature films Uh uh-huh and like, if I say Mank is at the bottom, because Mank is at the bottom of my list for sure, um, mm-hmm. I would still say Mank is a three out of five. So like, mm-hmm. there's no bad movies in his filmography. We're really talking about the difference between like good and amazing here. So do with all this information we will. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit as I want to do, but yeah, the short version of this is that like, it's one of the performances of the year. It's definitely going to be one of my films of the year, and. I, I I do have one question though. Like I get what you're saying in terms of all the films it's clearly taking inspiration from, especially the first twenty minutes, which is very obviously an homage to um, the conversation. 
Um, where you get the Wizard of Oz from? Where where is that coming up? From? Uh, I I would have to spoil the ending to talk about that because maybe I'll tell you afterwards. But oh, okay, um, I sort of get what you're saying. Yeah, I, you I get see, it. You, you <laughs> see the man, yeah, the man behind the curtain, and you, yeah, it's it was a very clear like beat for me at the end, which yeah. is why I think I, I we can't. I think we'll have to talk about the ending off here because it is a pretty major spoiler, but I think that's why the ending worked for me. It made me go, huh? Oh, it's I, okay. And, and the parallel, it all fit together and it kind of resolved in a way I wasn't expecting and resolved in a way that I found beautiful, just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also see because it is a bit of a curveball. I can see why some people wouldn't like it, but that, that Wizard of Oz style or all the, the nod to it was really beautiful for me. So I, I don't I wouldn't go so far as to that I didn't like the ending. I would just say again that I think that it works in terms of the larger metaphor and not necessarily in terms of the narrative, if that and the, the prior characterization of the character involved. Um, uh I, I don't fully agree, but there's no way we can talk about that without destroying the ending for anyone who hasn't watched it. And you should go. You should watch this movie as blind as possible. Yeah, I will definitely agree with that. You should definitely... And I will just say again, you should 100% watch this movie. Um, yeah. And it's, it's on Netflix. It's easy to, easy to watch. Um, I would definitely say, in a lot of ways, it's a very quiet movie. Um, so the best way to watch this is going to be with intent. Uh, I, and to be to be fair, the best way to watch every movie is with intent. But like, make some popcorn, <laughs> turn, the, turn the lights off, and watch. Turn the your movie. phone off. Put your phone turn down. Off. Yeah, put you know, do the thing. Watch the movie, and I think you'll be rewarded by it. Um, oh. and it is the kind of movie where like, I know some people who did not connect with it, and even they will say that it's worth watching because of how technically well made it, it, it is like if you don't oh, connect with the character or the narrative it is still worth watching because again it is an immaculately made movie like it oh. is it is so well constructed so well edited so well shot lit and shot and composed oh. um that even if you don't connect with the character or the narrative like there's definitely things to make it worth your time yeah so you should definitely watch this movie i should so how many stars for you? I'm guessing five. Five. It's a yeah. five. It's just brilliant. Just fantastic film. Five stars. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's a four star movie for me. But again, like, I lots of things are. I don't give out as many fives as I used to. Um, mm-hmm. And this, and I don't do half stars. Um, but this is a four star movie, and. I, w- I wish it was a five, but it's it's just a four. I think I think there's some things about it that didn't quite work for me, um, mm-hmm. but I can't say also like it's gonna get rewatched. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, good. good. Well, let's yeah. Yeah, just just watch the movie. It's a good movie. Also, can I just say it's wild to me the timeline we live in where this is just a Netflix another Netflix drop, like a movie of this caliber that should be a full theatrical release and and i think should uh if it was released um when was falling down released if it was released at that time it would be considered and remembered as a classic and as it turns out it's going to be swallowed by whatever netflix drops on next week it's just going to disappear and i find that just wild (laughs) the film of this caliber is just a capital c content drop but hey that's another conversation it's interesting, actually, just on a somewhat related note. So um, last year, Netflix released one of the best movies of the year, and that was All Quiet on the Western Front. And they they did release a limited collector's edition UHD of this movie, of that movie. Um, it's I have it. It's gorgeous. They sent me a copy. We watched it for on Remembrance Day yesterday. Um and it's like it uh, the case is a book and the book is full of just like essays and supplemental information um the disc itself is gorgeous that movie in 4k like proper disc 4k is mm-hmm. is even better than i remembered it being mm-hmm. um 
And I kind of wish Netflix would do that with more of their big ticket items, mm. like like this one. I think the gorgeous yeah. limited edition, or even just like a steelbook edition of this movie, would be one that I would mm. definitely put on my shelf. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, I know that Netflix's whole thing is keeping you subscribed, but uh, you know sometimes stuff dis- disappears. I think you know we're seeing that with Warner Brothers just just disappeared another movie they hadn't even released yet. And mm. I Netflix, to their credit has not done that yet because they just mm. but the problem with netflix being that they just need content not like they're not making movies they're making things mm. yeah to keep you online right and they yeah. at, at least they understand though that leaving those things online is a net positive mm-hmm. <laughs> um anyway all i'm saying is that netflix if you're listening if you put out a if you put out a steelbook of this i would buy it 100 percent. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah Okay. Anyway, we should probably move on. Um, So we're going to move on to a TV series, which we sometimes do on the show. Uh, And this week, uh, this coming week, so it's going to premiere with two episodes on Friday. What is Friday? The 17th? Um, Uh, 17th of November. Yeah. So uh, in at the time you're listening to this, uh, it's about five days from today. And that is the new series on Apple TV Plus, uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Now, for those of you who have not watched them, uh, Legendary Pictures has been making a series of Godzilla movies, uh, giant monster movies. Uh, and within those movies, there has been a secret agency called Monarch, which is there to monitor and research the giant monsters. Um, Monarch Legacy of Monsters is a new series that is set in the same universe about the formation of that agency. And it sounds like it might be kind of boring if you're just expecting the, you know, the formation of a secret agency, but it is actually one of my favorite things I've watched this year. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the setup is that there's, there's two major timelines here in the show one involves a young woman called kate randa she's played by some uh, a young actress called anna sawai and she is asian american and she's japanese american and she is traveling to japan because her father has recently been deceased and she they find a bunch of information that he owns some property and he goes there she goes to japan and she finds this apartment and in that apartment is his her father's other wife and her half-brother that she didn't know about and he worked for Monarch, and the two of them end up trying to figure out that he's not actually dead, and they went, they go to find him. And they learn about Monarch in the process, and eventually they hook up with Kurt Russell, who plays an aged like Monarch founding member called Lee Shaw, and they go on this globetrotting adventure, and they find a new kaiju, and a bunch of stuff happens. Um, at the same time, we're treated to a timeline in the 50s with Wyatt Russell... Kurt Russell's actual son playing the same character, Lee Shaw, in the 50s, um, alongside Anders Holm as, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, also Randa. also Randa. Um, why can I not remember his name? Bill Randa. Uh, Bill, that's right. Yeah, Bill Randa. And Mari Yamamoto as Keiko, who, and the three of them, he's an army man. She's uh, a scientist and he's a cryptozoologist and they end up finding a giant monster and they end up forming Monarch to track and to study uh, giant monsters with the backing of the US military. And one of the first giant monsters they find is Godzilla. Um, This show is great. Um, I don't really want to spoil more than the setup of it. Um, You do get... I will say you do get one appearance of John Goodman who played Bill Randa in Kong Skull Island. Um, so Anders Holm is Bill Randa in the 50s. John Goodman is him in the 70s. Uh. And then Kate Randa, like um, Kate Randa, Anna Sawai, and Kentaro Randa, played by Ren Watabi, are John Goodman's grandchildren in this narrative. And if you haven't seen the movies, though, that shouldn't matter. Um, it's still a very compelling story. It's very well acted. It, but for those of you like me who love giant monsters who eat these movies up, this show 
does an extremely good job of a weaving its narrative in and around the films we've already seen um, in ways that I know I've seen that you have that Simon hasn't because I've mm-hmm. seen eight of the 10 episodes and I think you've seen four you're in on number five, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But also just adding a ton of not only depth, but breadth to the series um adding like how how deep monarch goes how far reaching it is um the the nature of the kaiju themselves uh and a little bit about where they come from uh and the way that monarch just interacts with the worlds and the way that the kaiju interact with the world um i don't i don't know what else to really say that's not a spoiler but I will I will say that like Anna Sawai is fantastic. Um, I think she has to do most of the heavy lifting in terms of like character work because she is the protagonist, so that makes sense. But she has some of the most difficult stuff to do, and she carries it off beautifully. Um, and it turns out that Kurt Russell is a goddamn movie star, and Wyatt Russell, who is his real son and looks so much like him that it feels like cheating they're playing the same character <laughs> it has it has the same energy um and seeing that character in the two time frames is super interesting for reasons i can't talk about because you're not there yet um uh and then to top it all off the interesting thing about this show is that it's a show about Monarch. It's not a show about the giant monsters. So the giant monster action is actually a little sparse. If you're going into this movie expecting to see a Godzilla battle every episode, I'm here to tell you you're going to be disappointed in that aspect. Um, there's probably an argument to be made that maybe it corrects a little too far in the other direction, like at least in terms of the marketing. The marketing has Godzilla front and center all the time, and in the first like five episodes, he shows up twice. Maybe three times? I think it's twice. Um, however, both Fuck. of the times he shows up, <laughs> yeah, goddamn incredible. There's a moment in episode two of this. It's eventually, it's pretty much immediately revealed that Kate Randa, Anna Sawai's character, is a survivor of the 2014 Godzilla attack on San Francisco. So 2014 battle between Godzilla and the Mutos from the 2014 movie Godzilla. And there's a moment where he's Godzilla is crashing through the Golden Gate Bridge and looks right at her and bellows and that scene gave me literal goosebumps like Mm -hmm. actual legitimate goosebumps and that's before you find out a few episodes later the full context of the scene which is just amazing like it's i i don't even want to say what how i felt about it because i feel like that would be a spoiler um and there's a later scene a scene in a later episode an episode or two later where um there's uh, a long, slow shot of Godzilla where it's basically like a drone shot that starts at his tail and goes up and weaves through his spines all the way up to his head. And it is so well done. Like some of the best effects I've seen in a TV show in ages, some of the best character animation I've seen in ages, maybe since the last of these movies, like they're clearly putting the same money and care towards the effects in these movies as they did the show as they did in the movies. And I think they've done a really good job in the movies. So mm-hmm. if you're, you're, you might be disappointed that you're not going to see Godzilla every episode, but you're not going to be disappointed when you see him because every scene with him is incredible. Um, I feel like I'm rambling a bit. Have I said anything you disagree with at this point? Sam? No, not at all. I know I'm letting you go. Cause I know you, you love these movies. You love Godzilla for old and new, and you know a lot about them. And I, I don't have that depth of knowledge and i've also not liked any of the monarch movies really uh, as i've said to you before i don't like the skull island or the um king of the monsters i turned off after half an hour because i couldn't take the scripting and the acting i i haven't seen versus kong we've had a discussion before about your your argument is it doesn't matter because it's giant monsters punching each other and i'm gonna say and, like i i sort of get that like there's a few there's a lot of visual metaphors in in Kong Skull Island that are very heavily like inspired by the move, the likes of like Apocalypse Now, and they're very surface level. And if you bounce off them, I get it. Like it's it's not as deep as it thinks it is. However, however, King Kong also uses 
a large boat propeller attached to a chain <laughs> to kill a giant three-legged monster. Like it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I, <laughs> so this is this is the argument we always have here because I, <laughs> I, uh, it's not enough for me. I need I need the monsters to be behind the human story, and I need them to be framed as such. And I think the I totally agree with you that the Monarch TV show has gone heavily into the human story. Luckily, it's brilliantly scripted. It's brilliantly acted. And when the monsters do turn up, like when you mentioned Godzilla, they are shot in a way at a scale from a human scale that makes them feel big and scary and uh, this unstoppable force of nature, which I never really got from the movies at all. Um, I think having a sparse use of your kaiju it's a very uh, good way to incorporate them into a story. Now, I, it, on, on the flip side, if you want lots and lots of monster battles, you're not going to get them here. And I also think as good as Godzilla is in this TV show, and it, he, he really is amazing. He looks very classic, but also dangerous, huge, and brilliantly shot. I can't stop thinking about I know you've mentioned it, but there's a shot where... Uh, she's she she gets the camera's pointing at, at uh Alice by getting off a bus, Kate getting off a bus, and the, the bus blocks the like three quarters of the frame, and as it the camera pulls back, Godzilla sort of come, sweeps into frame behind and roars at her. It's incredible and it feels dangerous and everything it should do. Um What's just interesting but, but, what I what I think is also really interesting and what I think the show does really well is it makes clear that it's also not malicious like he's not mm-hmm. angry he's not like coming to kill the humans he's just a force of nature who's there yeah you know it might yeah. as well be a hurricane that's destroyed yeah. the bridge right like yeah he's not was... he's 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 a big he's big and he's clearly intelligent but he's not like he's not there to kill humans because he's angry he's just there to mm. because of the reasons he's there like yeah. It's, it's a it's a whole thing i i really love the it's it's weird to think of it might be weird to think of godzilla as a as a character but as a character mm. he's really well conceived in the show mm-hmm. and as good as he is uh, i would say that doesn't quite stretch to the other monsters um the, there's a dragon-esque thing and there's a an ice thing and they they don't they don't look as good i think the design isn't quite as uh, there for either of those uh, I would say, and also the the CG is not quite there. But the um, what I really, really, really love about the show is that the it's framing the the human struggles against the threat of these monsters, uh, rather having a, the humans as a superfluous part of the monsters just fighting each other. And I absolutely love that. Uh, and what um, what's nice as well is that the it's taking a lot of cues from Lost, and it's it's having like 50% of the mystery box in that it is setting things up and then slowly answering them without really introducing other things you don't know, which is quite, it's, it's an unfurling of narrative, which I really like across the storylines, across the timelines. But Lord help me, give me an entire movie with Wyatt Russell and Mary Yamamoto in that time period, in that costume, like he white russell is so good at this like 50s action hero and um mario yaramata is so good as his foil that he slowly like develops these feelings for um i just love i love that period in particular the the modern or i say modern the the, the most modern stuff because it's what 2015 that's going to be yeah the, the main most... narrative of the show takes place in 2015 which places right. it um after Godzilla, but before before King of the Monsters. Right, right, right. So I really like that too, and I, I think it's down to the the dynamics of the cast and the way they're written, the bounce of each other is really, really good. Like, Kirstie Clemens is this kind of really interesting character who's, who's the hacker character, but she's she's American but living in Japan, and, and she's a great actor. She, she conveys so much. But, um... And Alice Wise fantastic and, and really I'm so I said this to you by text this week. Like I'm so glad that Kurt Russell is still fucking brilliant. Like he's he 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 uh he was such a, a huge 
star of so many movies I loved when I was really, really young. And to see him just still in command of a screen. He is so commanding. And um, what's really nice as well, I think White Ross is one of the best working actors at the moment. And I think he is a bit of a chameleon. And so I am really, really enjoying his impression of his dad. Like, he's clearly doing a young Kurt Russell impression. And he, uh, obviously, because of the genetics, but as a working actor as well, he's really worked. I think he's probably studied a lot of Big, Big Trouble in Little China and the Thing era Kurt Russell uh, to get all the tiny little reactions and like little mouth movements. It's just so satisfying to see him as a young Kurt Russell. Um, but uh, I, I love it. I love the show. I think I'm, I'm halfway through five. And I think I would probably like a bit more monster now at this point. Um, but I, it's a very minor quibble. It's, um, it's a quality TV show that I haven't seen. And to be fair, I think Apple maybe have a different approach to their TV shows. A lot of their shows are really good quality. Apple TV Plus, that don't that that Netflix doesn't feel like it has the same kind of quality. I really. Like if you compare this to um, Severance and For All Mankind and uh, the 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 party um, after party and they're all Ted Lasso like, and Thick Quests. Su- uh, yeah, super Lessons high in chemistry. Quality. Lessons in chemistry yeah. is excellent. Oh, is that good? I haven't seen that yet. Blackbird is excellent. So um, um, so my I'm just going to jump in just really quick and say yeah. that it's a fairly common misconception to think that Apple cool. TV Plus wants to be netflix they very clearly want to be hbo right you think that they are succeeding by mostly they are succeeding i think they have a much higher hit rate with their series than movies but that's also kind of true of hbo so mm-hmm. um it's interesting because this is a total aside but i had a recently after the strikes ended all of the streaming services raised their price and i was having a conversation with a critic friend of mine and he was like i don't want to pay like Apple TV Plus was $6 and now it's 10. That's a huge increase. And my rebuttal was that like they don't have the depth of like they don't have anything other than their originals. They don't have a huge library of other stuff. But the stuff they make is so good that for my money, Apple TV Plus is probably the last one I would unsubscribe from. Mm-hmm. Cuz they have such a high hit rate. Um it's and yeah, yeah, you're not wrong that like like these people aren't wrong that like it is nice to be able to go on Netflix and watch a bazillion old movies, but that number is consistently dwindling as more streaming services sign up start up. And again, like the hit rate of originals is so high on Apple TV Plus that it is I think they're one of the most worthwhile services yeah. um, currently going. And they're not a sponsor for the record. I just think that they're doing really good work. Yeah, so do with all that information what you will. Anyway, sorry, mm-hmm. I interrupted. Um, I think I was just generally saying how great it is. And it feels like quality. And I think um, since Lost, I think there have been many series who have tried to do that slow unfurling um, of stories through flashbacks and back and forth and, and revelation storytelling. And I think they most of them have been entirely unsuccessful because Lost did it so, so well. I, I'm getting big Lost vibes from this in a really, really good way. I think it is, um, it's not wasting the viewer's time. Everything that is revealed slowly feels fitting to the story. And it's really nice, actually, because it, it jumps around. And so it will tell you something later that you kind of noticed earlier. And suddenly that thing you noticed earlier makes sense in the narrative now. Like, oh, that's why I saw that micro reaction earlier i think it's been put together very thoughtfully and it is, yeah. it's it, and uh, it's written very very well it's acted very well this is a great tv show and it's not it's so much better for me than all the monarch movies which feel like completely throwaway disposable pieces of film for me this feels almost like a completely different approach to it so as someone who likes the legendary monster verse very generally speaking whilst also admitting that like yeah they're not all great um what i think a really interesting point about 
the Monarch series is that everything you're saying about how it needs to, it emphasizes the human element in an interesting way and sets it against this backdrop of giant monsters is basically you're saying it's a much more successful ver execution of what 2014's Godzilla tried to be. And oh, I, yeah. I know that I like that movie and you're not too hot on yeah. it, but like that movie, which has, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson existing basically like in between the footsteps of Godzilla, right? Like yeah, it's very totally. much like him and everyone who's trying to just survive the onslaught. Um, and there's not really in that movie, the balance is definitely off. Like I definitely wanted to see more of Godzilla fighting, but mm -hmm. I do, I, I like that movie, but this is a better version of what that movie, what that yes. movie is trying to do. hundred um, percent. And, uh, and that might also just be that like, and I don't, I don't actually think that Aaron Taylor Johnson is bad in the movie. Um, I think he's totally fine. I don't think he's great. I think he's just fine. Um, but I think it really helps that the cast of the show is entirely magnetic. Like even people I've never heard of before, like um, yeah. Kentaro is played by a Japanese actor called Ren Watabe, who I've never seen before. And he's so compelling as oh, that yeah. he's him and Anna Sawai are these, like they didn't know they, they're half siblings. They didn't know each other existed. And the way they play off each other is so natural and believable. Like, I can never imagine being in that situation, but I believe them in this situation, right? Like, yeah. they are so good together, and the way they both react to their father, who is only on screen for, like, moments at a time, but every time he's there and they, anyone interacts with them, in, whether it's in flashback or in the present, um, oh. everything about their relationship works so well. Oh. Um, and I don't know if you're there yet, but there's an episode where they do go to San Francisco and, like... You get to mm -hmm. see what the place yeah. looks like a year post Godzilla, post G Day, as they call it. Yeah, uh, and even that is so well, so well put together, like mm -hmm. so thoughtful. And the, the whole like bureaucracy around who can go in, who can't, is also just so like definitely like on point for the way American bureaucracy seems to work. Yeah. Um, it's hard to talk about some of the things I'm really liking about the show right now. A, because it'd be a spoiler for you, dear listeners, but also because I'm about three episodes ahead of Simon, and there's definitely stuff I want to say that he hasn't seen yet. Um, there's another just awe-inspiring shot of Godzilla in a later episode that I, is just so good. Um, and I was going to say, if I have a complaint about this, so the very first episode of the show starts with John Goodman in the 70s on Skull Island, because uh, he is in the movie Kong Skull Island, and he records a video of himself and tosses a bag into the sea, and that becomes the MacGuffin for the first part of the season. And I kind of wish, and I'm, I wonder if we're going to get this in a potential second season, but I kind of wish there was some more flashbacks to the 70s. Like, I would very much like to see an aged-up Wyatt Russell interacting with John Goodman in the 70s. Um, <laughs> I, I know the reason why they don't, and I, I think it's a, a, I think it's a spoiler. It hasn't explicitly been yeah. revealed yet, uh, so it's yeah. a spoiler why they're not... I think they're not doing that to avoid a spoiler about what's going to happen in probably episode 9 or 10. Um, but I hope that in season 2 we get more of, like, 70s Monarch. Like, slightly more established... Uh, monarch uh, than the early formative days of monarch in the 50s mm -hmm. i would love to see more and even like even flashbacks to like the 80s or 90s would be great you know like mm -hmm. i would i would love to see more of that time frame um mm -hmm. if it is if it is written as thoughtfully as this season has been um but there's but there's definitely some stuff coming that i think is really interesting uh, and I really hope, I really hope, I'm confident that it will, and I'm really hope that it, uh, that it pays off. I'm very, mm -hmm. very excited for it. And yeah. also, and this is just a total minor note, um, the show has a love, a great supporting performance by Christopher Heyerdahl, who, if you don't know who that is, uh, spoiler alert, you definitely know who that is because he's in basically every show that's shot here in Vancouver and in Canada in general. Um, and he plays a, a U.S. Army general, and 
I love him in this. He's only he's very supporting. He's only in a couple of episodes, but he's so fucking good as the sort of like no nonsense, pragmatic, like this is the way it is, uh US yeah. Army general. Um yes. I I just I love him so much. Uh, he's, he's I think he's one of our like interestingly, I think he's one of Canada's great character actors who nobody knows who he is. Um but he's he's uniformly great in this show. Yeah, he is great. Anyway, uh, so, so, so it's. I, I mean, I don't really want to give stars to it at this point. Um, it's floating around four stars. I, I don't know where you are. You've seen the whole thing. Like, are you gonna give a star? So I haven't seen the whole, the whole thing. thing. I've seen there are going to be ten episodes. Oh. I have seen eight of the episodes. Oh, um, I thought eight was the total. And okay. I will say that uh, it is definitely at least four stars for me at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that there are definitely some episodes that are stronger than others. Um. However, mm-hmm. like we're talking about some episodes are a four and some are a five. I think it's probably going to average out to a four. Um, and I legitimately cannot wait to see the last two. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting uh, when I first watched this, when they first delivered screeners to me for this, they gave me, I think, three. And I watched them and I was like, how long do I have to wait? Like, are they going to give me, like, how long do I have to wait to watch the end of this? Like, I'm. It's been a while since I've been this excited about a show. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I, I can't wait to see the rest of it. And I, one hundred percent, I'll rewatch it. And I can say that with confidence mm-hmm. because they first gave me three, and then they gave me five, and I rewatched the first three when I watched the, the, the four and five. So, like, it's definitely rewatchable as well. Mm-hmm. So. Do with do with all that what you will. Um, yeah, this show right. is an Apple TV Plus exclusive. The first two episodes are on Friday the seventeenth, and it's going to be weekly after that. And I would say set your calendars because it's it's great, and I think everyone should watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. I, and especially if you are of of the age where you experienced Lost the first time, this got some big Lost vibes. Like when Lost was really on the ball, when it knew what it was doing before it didn't. Um, it's it's it feels that well put together. It's really really good. Yeah, it's like season one lost, not yes. uh, not season not, three lost, <laughs> not three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, good. You know, it's 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 lost before they lost the plot and mm-hmm. and after they found it again, um, but but better than the latter of those. So <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify that, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so yeah that's 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 it definitely so two two things this week definitely watch both of them and then as a side note we haven't talked about it because we don't know when simon's gonna get to see it but the marvels is out and it's great and you should see it that's my Mm -hmm. one sentence review (laughs) i I do not know i mean i know why people are complaining about it because the the youtube rage farming cycle is in full swing but like It's, it's a fun movie. It's a fun 95 minutes of the movies, man. Like, go watch the movie. It's a great time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just wanted to get that on the record. Um, yeah. Um, well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Yeah? Do you have anything else you want to add, Simon? No, not really. Just go and watch all this stuff. It's all really good stuff, and it's nice to have good stuff, because uh, I, I, think, I think I can be a bit more negative than Matt. So, uh, in in my time is so limited and my consciousness is so limited and if things don't work for me they really don't work and so it's been really nice to have a week with two things that work really really well for me so please mm-hmm. go watch them yeah that's totally fair well let's uh end it there we're basically at time um Thank you again so much for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed the show. Um, if you have thoughts about either thing, either the killer or monarch. Um, do let us know. We're on all the socials, and you can find all those socials linked in the show notes. You'll find them linked to our respective homepages because there are there are too many social medias to list. Um, but get in touch. We have that. We have a contact form. All of it is in the show notes. Um, if you've liked the show, please consider supporting us. You can do that a number of ways, the two most important being subscribe to the show. Uh, we're on every major podcasting platform. So whichever one you are listening to on, just hit the subscribe button or hit the like button or hit the five-star review button. Like, hit the buttons, man. Smash those buttons. Um, And we also do have a Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash mcsimpson. And 
those things will help us keep the lights on. Um, you can also find the homepage for this episode. It'll be linked in the show notes and it'll be at our homepage, awesomefriday.ca. But the page for this episode in particular will have streaming links powered by Just Watch that tell you where you can watch both of these things. Uh, and if you use those links, uh, that will also help us keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, last but not least, we are here in Vancouver. We're on the unceded lands, unceded and ancestral territory of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. Um, one last time, thank you so much for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday. Thanks. Bye.